C. diff spores and more is brought to you in part by Rebiotics, Microbiota Restoration Therapy. Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Rebiotics, a fairing company, for their generous support. You can find more about the microbiome research and clinical trials at www.rebiotics.com. It is with great pleasure to introduce our guest today, Professor Simon Cutting. Professor Cutting joins us today to discuss C. difficile prevention, treatments, probiotics, and scientific research. At this time, I would like to welcome our guest to the program. Thanks for joining us today, Professor Cutting. Yes, thank you very much, Nancy. Yes, happy to be Uh, here. Well, we're so glad that you are here today, and we thank you for joining us. And um, Professor Cutting, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course, yes. So, yes, so, by the way, I'm a professor or a doctor. Um, I'm not offended either way, but um, I'm, of course, a scientist, and I'm English, and um, I am a microbial geneticist originally. I trained for my PhD at Oxford University in the UK, and then I spent 10 years in America, uh, seven years at Harvard, also working with um, bacteria, microbes, um, but particularly an organism that forms spores. It's called bacillus, and it's very similar to the Clostridia, Clostridium difficile. And um, after 10 years in America, um, I finally returned to the UK, and I'm now at the University of London, the Royal Holloway University of London where I've been running my own laboratory, research laboratory, for, I guess, 25 years now. And, um, yes, so, uh, yes, a typical scientist. And in the last 10 years, I've been working with Clostridium difficile um, almost exclusively. Wonderful. And we're so glad you are, Professor Cutting. And would you like to share a little bit about what exactly you do? Yes. Um, okay. So, um, obviously, speaking in lay terms, um, I've always been interested in the role of the spore. That's the dormant form of a bacterium. Um, and trying to understand how that spore is formed. And we do this using fancy genetic techniques, etc. Um, and then about 10 years ago, I was approached by some other scientists who sort of ganged up on me and said, why don't you work with Clostridium difficile? Because this is an organism that also forms a spore. And um, so we, we really took a fresh approach to this. Um, and we learned very quickly that... There's a lot of emphasis in the field, that's the scientific community, which is focused on all these different types of Clostridium difficile that are emerging across the world, Um, and a lot of science trying to understand what these bacteria were. But we, first of all, we took two approaches. We were interested in understanding the disease process, and we've We've come very far with this now. And we're also interested in, could we prevent this uh, disease? Is it possible to do this? And um, we came into this new, so I had to make myself known within the field. And we've, the type of progress we've made is that we developed an oral vaccine to Clostridium difficile. Um, which we took to phase one clinical studies. So that means that we showed our vaccine was safe. We've done, I don't know, maybe 20 animal studies proving that that vaccine works. Um, At the same time, we've 
gone very far now in understanding what is the cause of Clostridium difficile. And I think maybe we'll discuss this later um, uh, today, but this is something which is particularly interesting and is the most difficult question to ask, and that is why are people getting Clostridium difficile? Because 30, 40 years ago, this was a disease almost unheard of. And I can mm-hmm. give you some answers. I can either tell you now or later on in the um, program today. But we've been investigating this. And certainly at the foundation conference in uh, November, I'll probably present the explanation for this. I can mm-hmm. probably allude to some of it today. But there is a, a core reason why people are getting Clostridium difficile infection. And to my knowledge, no one has really thought about this or considered this. Mm-hmm. No, you're so right, Professor Cunning. And we are looking forward to learning more about that in November at the conference. And I do have a question for you. Uh, you had said earlier that the dormant form of the bacterium is a spore. So when a patient yes. is infected with C. diff infection, what is the bacterium? Mm. What form is the bacterium in? Okay, so it must be. So when they are infected, to be in, infected, that spore must germinate because the spore by itself actually does nothing. It's just dormant. It's, um, if you like, a hibernating organism. It does absolutely nothing. And what we know is that you, you could take spores of Clostridium difficile, put them outside, and they would just, in the environment, put them in the soil, and they would do absolutely nothing. If you put them inside a host, that means inside a human or an animal, the spore will germinate, and it will grow out, but it can only do that in what we call an anaerobic or an anoxic environment. That means there's no oxygen present. And this particular organism is very strict on this. If it sees one molecule of oxygen, it's dead. So this is an organism which only causes a disease within a host. And as soon as that bacterium starts to grow, it starts to produce toxins. And those toxins are what basically, in very simple terms, cause inflammation. They cause diarrhea. Um, and, of course, then the more serious symptoms that can develop with the disease. So it's the vegetative cell. That's a way of describing the live bacterium. That is the, the bug, if you like, the form that causes disease. But you'll only ever find that inside a person, but in, inside a host. Okay. Well, thank you for that explanation. And we know that when it is dormant and it is on a contaminated surface, it's in the spore form, correct? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. You, you may well, so for, for example, animals carry Clostridium difficile. And so if you were to walk into a farm um, and you are going to be exposed, the spores of Clostridium difficile, enormous quantities. Um, it depends how involved you get with the animals, but if you're a farm worker, for example, you will be breathing in and ingesting um, spores. And even um, when, when you think about how a person becomes contaminated, you know, uh, you only have to bite your fingernails to understand how easy it is to transfer something from the environment to your gut. Um, and, of course, if you're in a hospital, you can assume that there will be a large number of people in the hospital who are symptomatically or asymptomatically infected with Clostridium difficile. That also is, shall we say, an excellent place to come into contact with Clostridium difficile. But the reality is that Clostridium difficile is everywhere. In fact, we've done some studies with animals, we've been to other countries, and Clostridium difficile is present everywhere. Um, so you may well go into hospital and you may have a higher risk of coming into contact with, shall we say, a more virulent, a more 
dangerous strain of Clostridium difficile. But the actual bacterium is present everywhere. And you know that in America, I think now they're saying almost 50% of um, hospital CDI, Clostridium difficile infections, originate from outside the hospital. So it means a person has come into contact with Clostridium difficile really before they walked into the hospital. The hospital may well be the catalyst, if you like, which makes them develop the disease. You have probably acquired that from outside. Exactly. And that we're going to discuss about community acquired a little later on in the program. And thanks for bringing that up, Professor. And before we go to break, um, would you mind sharing your thoughts on vaccines since you did discuss earlier about the oral vaccine that you had um, uh, originated and worked on? So, you know, I I know a lot about the vaccination approach. Um, And obviously, if you want to develop a vaccine, it's going to cost a lot of money um, for the development. And Big Pharma have made a tremendous effort with this. They've invested a lot of money into this. Currently, as you may well know, the vaccine approaches have not gone as planned. And I think in retrospect, probably the wrong approach has been used. Effort has been focused on injectable vaccines and delivering toxoids. That's an inactivated toxin produced by Clostridium difficile. And you don't, you, you don't need this to prevent Clostridium difficile infection. What you need is a vaccine which prevents colonization of the host by Clostridium difficile. And this is something which really has only become apparent really in the last five or six years. There are some people, Dale Gerding, for example, and myself have been saying this for a long time. But one thing you have to understand is that vaccine companies maybe have decided 20 years ago to start their program. And once you start it, it's not so easy to sort of change it later on. But the vaccines, the vaccine we've made prevents colonization. And if I have time, I'll just say quickly, the, the second issue with this is, is the vaccine approach the best approach? Because... Um, maybe there are alternative approaches which maybe in the long run are better. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that, Professor Cunning. And uh, we are still have three minutes before we go to break. Uh, during this oh, time. okay. Right. Good. So, okay. So, <laughs> um, did you want to ask me another question? Or yes, that would be great. Um, would you mind sharing your thoughts on how uh, on the ways that C. diff can be prevented? Yes, okay, so the, I think everyone knows about FMT, fecal micro, microbiota um, transplantation. That's really to treat. In order to prevent, you, you need a way to prevent Clostridium difficile from colonizing the host. And this is a hard one. Um, so I, I'm not going to explain it in the sort of remaining two minutes, but maybe we can cover it later in this program. But the clue is something referred to as the hygiene hypothesis. The reason people are acquiring C. difficile infection is because of our diets, the Western lifestyle. And that is the underlying reason why you're seeing this massive increase in C. difficile And no disrespect to Americans, but you have fantastic food, but I think probably you would agree with me. The food is very clean and it's probably unhealthy. Um, It's not the best. Everyone knows this. And I like a hamburger as much as everyone else. Um, But it's our diets and everything to do with our diets, which is allowing some bacteria to now appear, whereas 50 years ago, they weren't present. And the hygiene hypothesis also underlines the increase in C. difficile, the appearance. It's linked with community-associated C. difficile, but also the appearance of C. difficile in children. 
Do I still have time? I think we are down to a minute. If you want to just oh, okay, um, okay. finish your thought on that, that would be great. Yeah, well, the uh, my, my uh, the point I want to make is you're, not only have we seen a rapid increase in clostridium difficile, but we're also seeing the appearance in children. And this is unexplained. No one accounts for this. But if you think about children and you think about how you or I were when we were young, 40 or whatever, 50 years ago, our lifestyle was very different. The way we ate food, the way we played in the environment, but people don't behave like this anymore. We have a very sedentary lifestyle. We go to hamburger joints. We all have takeaways, um, food delivered to our house. It may be fantastic, but there is a consequence for this, and it's the change in diet which is driving, it's promoting um, this rise in Clostridium difficile infection. And this is a consequence of uh, very much the Western lifestyle, and it's linked to many things here, which I'm sure we'll talk about after the break. Um, but it's very important, and no one has actually mentioned this before. There is one publication last year which talks about the link between Clostridium difficile infection and a fiberless diet. Basically, we don't like to eat plants and fiber, um, but it's much more than this, um, and this is very much what I'm working on now. Okay, well, thank maybe. you so much. Professor Cutting, uh, for discussing the prevention, ways of preventing OC diff infection, and your thoughts on vaccines with our listeners today. At this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break and a word from our sponsor, Rebiotics, a faring company. When we return, we will continue discussing C. difficile prevention, treatments, probiotics, and scientific research with Professor Simon Cutting. Stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. Rebiotics, a faring pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. Join us on November 6th and 7th for the 7th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Doubletree Westport Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. To view the conference details and register online, visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org. Again, that's cdifffoundation.org. We look forward to meeting you in November. To help support the C. diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank our listeners for joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Professor Simon Cutting, back to the program. Welcome back to the program, Professor Cutting. Sure. Thank you very much, Nancy. You are very welcome. And Professor Cutting, before the commercial break, you were explaining to our global audience the prevention of C. diff and also the hygiene hypothesis, which we will learn more about in November's conference. And so moving forward... And to learn some of the C. diff treatments and your thoughts on the fecal microbiota transplant, would you mind sharing some thoughts on that? Yes, of course. So, 
Yes, so there, there is no doubt about it. The fecal microbiota transplant <laughs> does indeed um, treat people who have C. difficile. I think, I think scientifically, sort of 92, 94% efficacy, which basically means success rate. Um, so I think everyone probably understands that it's difficult to make this into a commercial product. And by that I mean you're not going to walk into CVS or Walgreens and buy a treatment for Clostridium difficile infection. And of course, this is a treatment. It's not a prevention. Um, so I'm intrigued by this. Um, and I think, first of all, that if, if it works, then it should be used, but I can see it's complex. You've got to get permission and go through a process, and there are some issues with it, one of which I think everyone knows is safety, um, but that can be addressed. There is one concern about this, which is what is happening long-term to a person if you introduce um, material, fecal material, and I think, as you probably know, there are some examples where the metabolome, the gut microbiota has significantly changed, and that's the metabolism. And without sort of scaremongering, no one really knows what is happening. Um, all they know is that your C. difficile infection will disappear. So <clears throat> it is what it is. It's, you know, people who have C. difficile need this option. Um, but I, I have, I think it's a temporary uh, approach, which is something we have now, and it's waiting for an alternative. Of course, one alternative is the so-called microbiome approaches, where you then say, well, I wonder what bacteria or microbes are present in the feces. And if you can sort of identify those bacteria and reintroduce them into a host, you know, it's a capsule or something, um, you could prevent Clostridium difficile infection and or treat C. difficile infection. Um, and as you know, there are a number of companies who've done this. Um, and I think it's probably fair to say with mixed success, I mean, obviously it's not appropriate for me to say who these companies are, but it's really iffy whether this works or not. And I also think with a, see, if I think commercially I would be concerned about this because it's very easy for a scientist to come along and say, well, I've got a a bunch of bacteria from feces, and another group say, I've got a bunch of bacteria, um, and people then take this forward into commercial products. And from the data that I have seen, and of course what I know about the infection, I really don't think this is the best approach. And there's a lot of interest now internationally about micro microbiome approaches, and I'm sure in America you've seen advertisements or television documentaries where they say, we have bacteria in the gut which have efficacy against autism, or it could be linked to diabetes, and the list goes on and on and on. And I think if you take a few steps back from this and think about it rationally, it is highly unlikely that people can identify bacteria in the gut which do all of these things. I think this is probably wishful thinking. On the other hand, I would say probably for some ailments and gastrointestinal infections, there may well be a link between bacteria in the gut and the ailment or illness or disease. Um, for example, Crohn's disease, possibly even colon cancer, um, may well be a link, but this is not something someone's going to find a cure for or a solution 
within the next few years. This could take a long time. And I think to end this section or my comments on this, I would just like to remind the listeners that across the world, you have people in, let's imagine, China or India, whose diet, whose microbiome, the bacteria within the gut, is completely different from ours in America or the United Kingdom. So I think it's a little bit naive to think that you can identify bacteria from the gut, from a person or people in America, and it's going to do exactly the same thing to people living in China who have a completely different diet and metabolism. And I think 20 or 50 years from now, what you'll find is we will have tailored microbiome approaches. We are reaching the stage now where it is possible to consider that a person would have their entire microbiome deciphered. That means every single bacteria that lives in your mature gut microbiota will be identified and classified. And maybe knowing that a doctor or a company or someone can then say to you, you need to increase or decrease particular groups of bacteria, and maybe that's why you, why you have this ailment or illness. But it's going to be an individual approach. And I'm somewhat skeptical of, and it's, of course, mostly scientists or commercial companies who are trying to say that we can pull out bacteria which are going to have efficacy um, against, you know, irritable bowel syndrome or whatever. It, it's just too good to be true. Um, so I suppose what I'm trying to say is I'm a little bit skeptical of this. And you know what, Professor Cutting, we know the microbiome is very new to researchers, uh, patients and physicians. Uh, it's an all-new um, discovery. It, it remains investigational, uh, and as you said, the long-term results are unknown. And, you know, speaking about the microbiome, and uh, what are your thoughts on probiotics? Uh, probiotics, so, oh, yes, of course, I do know a lot about probiotics. Okay, so probiotics, um, by their very name, are live bacteria which um, have beneficial or believed to have beneficial effects for humans. So, in a way, you could think of bad bacteria and good bacteria. So, C. difficile is a bad bacterium and a probiotic is a good bacterium. So, what I do believe is that if you were to take regular doses, and when I say daily doses of, call them good bacteria, probiotic bacteria, it will do no harm, that's for sure. Um... And by taking that every day, you will be changing your, your diet. You will be introducing large quantities of bacteria. And there probably are some benefits to this. Now, people would then say, um, but I see a product in CVS which says, you know, beneficial for irritable bowel syndrome. I think if you looked closely at the packaging, what it might say um, it might just say the word irritable bowel syndrome. Um, and that's very different from saying if you take this, it will prevent irritable bowel syndrome. I suppose what I'm trying to say is this is now the world of branding and marketing. Um, so with Clostridium difficile, in my opinion, I... I think there really isn't enough data to support this. A while ago, actually last year, I was at a conference, um, and there was a company there, obviously I won't say who it was, who were marketing a probiotic where they were claiming that this product um, had efficacy against Clostridium difficile. So what they're saying is if you, if you consume this product every day, um, it's going to prevent Clostridium difficile infection. Um, so I asked the person behind the desk to explain this. 
the scientific data. Not only did that person not have any data, because they're not familiar with professors asking these questions, but when I really pushed this, what I found out was what they say is they have given this probiotic to people and they, and I sh and they don't get Clostridium difficile infection. If you think about what I've just said, it's, we would say in English, it's obtuse. It's extremely stupid because if you don't get something, that doesn't prove that taking a product does anything. Um, and what I'm trying to say is that probiotic has not been clinically evaluated. And this is a problem with the world of probiotics. People are making claims based on what they want or what they think might happen, but they haven't actually proven anything. Um, so I know, Nancy, you, you know, you're a C. difficile sufferer. If I gave you a probiotic and you took that every day and you never had a recurrence of Clostridium difficile, could you prove that was because of the probiotic or is it due to something else? Or maybe you just will never get C. difficile again. Um, so without knowing the, the mechanism, the reason, this is, in my opinion, uh, it's not acceptable because a lot of people are concerned about their health and if they do buy a product in a pharmacy or a drugstore, you say, in America, um, they shouldn't be misled. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But coming back to the very first sentence, um, I do think taking regular doses of live bacteria will do no harm. And it possibly is a good addition to your diet. But I'd be very careful in saying that there's any benefits to Clostridium difficile or preventing C. difficile infection. Okay. And Professor Cutting, um, is there any probiotic research going on at this time focused on the prevention or treatment of GI-related disorders? Uh, yeah, there are. There's been a... It, well, if you say today, you bear in mind many... Many people doing this work only keep it, they keep it secret until they publish it. But certainly in the last 10 years, there's been a number of uh, companies and academic groups who've tried to show efficacy. But at the end of the day, when you look at all the data put together, it seems to suggest that there's limited efficacy. It's, so it's really borderline. Um, knowing what I know, I would say, you know, if you... Um, there's certain... You know, I, I personally would, uh, wouldn't buy a probiotic um, as a way of preventing C. difficile or if I've had C. difficile of preventing recurrence. I'm not really convinced. Um, and these things aren't cheap. You know, they mm -hmm. $40, $50 a month or whatever it is. It's, you know, it's not cheap. Mm -mm. I think there are better ways to prevent C. difficile infection. Okay. And Professor Cutting, you say daily doses. Um, you know, we go into uh, the stores and pharmacies uh, there are a lot of supplements on the shelves that say list probiotics as live bacteria and yeast that help keep your digestive system healthy. Uh, is um, any has any clinical trials been done to obtain data about probiotics and to meet their endpoints? Well, how do you show someone is healthy? I mean, the I, I give you an example. There's at least one product. This is one example. Um, uh, again, I won't mention the name because it's not fair on that particular company, but there is at least one company I've seen which markets a dried banana product. And so it's not a probiotic, but it's for all intents and purposes that the idea is the same. You go along to your drugstore, you see this product, which, and what they say is this alleviates the, the symptoms of Clostridium difficile infection. And this product is a homogenized, ground-up banana extract. So let's analyze this. So bananas, it is well known in the scientific community or the, the medical community that bananas 
uh, how, how do we say, solidify stool. They reduce the, the diarrhea. They make the feces more harder. Probably one reason people traditionally give bananas to people who are in hospitals. So then analyze the statements a little bit more. Why not just eat a banana? Mm-hmm. Why do you have to go to a store and buy dried bananas, which are ground up into a powder? Um, so the same with probiotics, saying that you will be healthy. Um, I remember many years ago, someone asked me this on, I was on some television program, and someone asked me this, and they, I said, well, it, you know, did you go to sleep early last night? Did you sleep badly last night? Have you had a bad meal? There are many things that make you feel good or healthy. So saying you take a probiotic and it makes you healthy, um, I do think your diet contributes to your health. But simply taking a capsule or a supplement, you know, I, I don't think is the answer. And I, I think one common sense has to come into this a little bit. Mm-hmm. How would you okay. know if someone is healthier? You know? Exactly, exactly. And thank you so much for giving us that information, uh, Professor Cutting. At this time, we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing C. difficile prevention treatments, probiotics, and scientific research with our guest speaker. Our guest uh, today is Professor Simon Cutting. Stay tuned. We'll be back after these important messages. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing. Number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand-washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. To help support the CDIF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll-free 1-844-4-CDIF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against CDIF and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us on November 6th and 7th for the 7th Annual International C. diff Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Doubletree Westport Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. To view the conference details and register online, visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org. Again, that's cdifffoundation.org. We look forward to meeting you in November. Rebiotics, a faring pharmaceuticals company, has set out to understand the connection between the microbiome and disease through clinical study and innovative science. Our clinical studies investigate the potential of the microbiome as a therapeutic option for patients with unmet medical needs. Our focus is currently on patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. Partnerships drive innovation in the growing field of microbiome technologies, and we're excited to continue to share our findings in the space. Visit Rebiotics.com, R-E-B-I-O-T-I-X.com. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Professor Simon Cutting, back to the program. Thank you for joining us today, Professor Cutting. Yes, thank you, Nancy. Uh, You're welcome, and we have learned so much from you today, and we are here discussing C. difficile prevention treatments, probiotics, and scientific research. And Professor Cutting, why is C. difficile prevalent in the USA compared to other countries? Yes, so 
This is a very perplexing question. Um, 30, 40 years ago, Clostridium C. difficile was really a minor pathogen. We didn't really know about it. So something has happened, shall we say, over the last 30 or 40 years. Um, so we know healthcare presumably has got better. Um, but something is driving this. Because um, Clostridium difficile is present everywhere, um, but particularly in America and to the UK also to an extent. As I mentioned earlier, you know, um, for various reasons to do with myself publishing a paper on this, I prefer to make the first disclosure of this in November, in fact, at your conference. Um, but... What we have learned is that a phenomenon called the hygiene hypothesis seems to be the driver. So traditionally, the hygiene hypothesis was, I think, the concept appeared probably 20 years ago. The idea is that um, uh, as we become cleaner and our society um, is cleaner, um, we're reducing our exposure to the environment, environmental um, pollen and allergens, etc. And it's the exposure to environmental factors which has driven the increase over the last 40, 50 years of allergies. And I'm sure for any of your listeners who have children you will know that some, um, or you probably have children who have allergies. My own daughter has an allergy. Um, and the driver for this is very much, it's been referred to as the hygiene hypothesis. And it's as we sequester our children, we take them to school in a car and we don't let them walk anywhere. Um, when they play football in a field, the field is clean. You know, 40, 50 years ago, everything was very dirty. We no longer live in a society like this. And, of course, there are many benefits. The benefits are that we don't have infectious disease, the terrible diseases we would have had 40 or 50 years ago. But there's been a consequence to this. The one we know of is the rise in allergies, children who are developing more and more allergies. But what we've noticed is it's not just allergies, but it's Clostridium difficile. And we have realized that there is something in the environment, and we know what this is, and I'll say what it is in November, which, because of our lifestyle, we have a lower intake of this factor and together with our diet, which is becoming more fiber deficient, people don't like to eat vegetables and fruits, even though we know we should. Um, those two factors, which are linked with diet, nutrition, and lifestyle, have meant that large numbers of people are now more susceptible to Clostridium difficile infection. And there's a scientific reason for this. Something is happening in our gut, which is linked with the environment. And this is important because at the moment, everyone is focused on the control of C. difficile. It's what's already in our gut. So this comes back to what we were talking about earlier and these microbiome approaches where everyone is focused on the bacteria or the the organisms which are present in our guts. That has to be the solution. But in fact, the solution is in the environment. And this is why, um, I, I believe, is why you're seeing the appearance of large numbers of carriers of Clostridium difficile in the environment, asymptomatic carriers. It's why you're seeing the increase or the rise of C. difficile infection in children and young people who've never been into a hospital. The disease may be less severe, but they're infected with C. difficile, but they've never been to a hospital. 
textbooks say C. difficile infection is for elderly people who go into a hospital. But this now is turning out maybe this isn't true. Maybe it's the way we live our lives. I was in Los Angeles just six months ago, and it, you know, it's a wonderful place, but the thing I noticed was everything is, at least where I was, everything was so clean. Concrete everywhere, manicured grass, everything was sterile. The food was wonderful. It is fantastic, but you have to think about how you used to live 50 years ago. That is what has changed. So if you could change your lifestyle or think about improving your diet, more plants, more vegetables, um, more grains, um, together with what I'll talk about in November, get out more in the environment, um, you know, uh, exercise more. It means that as a population we would see, I would say, a reduction in C. difficile infection. Now, of course, what I'm saying is not relevant to a person today who has C. difficile infection because it's already too late, if you like. They've already got it. But we live in a world now where we're seeing infection rates increase. Even in China and India, they're now seeing C. difficile infection. But one thing you notice if you go to China... Oh, India, and I go to India a lot, and I also go to Vietnam a lot, is that people are adopting a Western lifestyle. There, uh, there's a lot of wealthy people in this country. There's obviously a lot of poor people. But people now are adopting the Western lifestyle. You can go to fantastic restaurants. Everyone wants their children to be clean and going to good schools. And this is all, um, this is all good. It's no criticism. But the, the negative, the consequence, is that this change in our lifestyle, the change in our diet, is driving the emergence of diseases such as Clostridium difficile. Um, and it may well not be the only disease. So it's not just allergies, but we're also talking about infectious disease. And that I believe is why we're seeing the rise. Um, and we've actually identified molecules which are present in the environment. And we can see easily that, um, i give you one example. If you take pigs and you take pigs and you feed them formula milk instead of the sow's milk, the mother's milk, the animal is more likely to be colonized by C. difficile. It means using an artificial milk instead of the mother's milk is driving the increase in colonization of the animal by C. difficile. You know, I, I don't know how many people have cesarean sections in, the, um, in America, but it's a lot of women. And the normal way of giving birth is very important for how the, the infant, the newborn, acquires bacteria into its gut. But I, I believe in England it's something like 30-40% of women have caesarean sections, often for good reason. Um, but there is a consequence to this. We are changing the way we live. We're changing our diet. And this probably is, and I would argue strongly, is driving why we see the rise of this disease. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Professor Cunning, for all of that insight and wonderful information that you've shared with us. Uh, before we close the program today, do you have any closing comments you'd like to share with our global listeners? Well, I think, first of all, um, I, I would like to make clear, you know, this is, Clostridium difficile, of course, for a person who gets Clostridium difficile infection, this is a devastating disease, no doubt about it. But everything I've said today, I want to make it clear, you know, we're not talking about a pandemic infection which is sweeping across the world 
Um, so I don't think anyone listening who hasn't had C. difficile infection should be wondering, you know, what is the risk I'm going to get infection? Um, I think uh, a remedy or a prevention will appear soon, I believe, so I'm certainly involved with this. Um, but I think the underlying theme is, and this applies to everyone, it applies to me, there is a consequence for how our lifestyle has moved forward and the way we live. And it's something we should consider. Well, thank you so much, Professor Cunning. And we really do appreciate your, all the insight and all the information and your thoughts for today. Um, we thank you so much for joining us today on C. diff spores and more. And we're so grateful for your dedication in the science research and development arena and for making a difference in global health. So we thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Well, look thank forward you. forward to seeing you in November. Absolutely. We look forward to learning more with you in November, too. And at this time, the members of the CDF Foundation, which wish to acknowledge all of the organizations around the globe who are dedicated to improving health, the organizations and professionals researching and developing new products, addressing C. diff infection prevention treatments and protecting the gut microbiome, and addressing environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about C. difficile infections and recurrent C. difficile infections, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org. And also to learn about clinical trials in progress and how you and your loved ones may be able to take part in a clinical study. Please help them to help you to help others. We thank Pfizer for being a diamond sponsor of the 7th Annual International CDF Conference and Health Expo, being held on November 6th and 7th at the Doubletree Westport Hotel by Hilton in St. Louis, Missouri. We are grateful for the international keynote speakers joining us for the two-day conference, and we would also like to thank the opportunity I'll take this opportunity to thank the corporate sponsors and industry leaders in the CDF community joining us for the two-day event to provide information focused on healthcare-required infections. For more information and to register online, please visit the CDF Foundation's website. We look forward to learning more with you in November. Please, at this time, we send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated and recovering from a CDF infection and the many wellness-draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala. With your our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. together.